welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I am your host, Pastor Timothy Apple. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Wednesday, November 9th, we're studying Joshua chapter 23, verses 1 to 16. Much time has passed, and Joshua is old and advanced in years. In chapter 23, he begins to prepare the people of Israel for their lives in the promised land after his death. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor John Busman. Pastor Busman serves at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Coleman, Alabama. Pastor Busman, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Thank you so much for having me again. It's uh, great to be here uh, with you this morning. As we get started today, Pastor Busman, give us some context. What should we know about the book of Joshua, where he's been leading up to chapter 23 today? Right. Everything in the book you know, really looks like things are moving forward. Uh, God obviously had promised this land to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and now they are in the land. The conquest appears to be going very well, as it would all the way up to the end of Joshua's life. So things look like they're on kind of an upward trajectory. Now we know as we continue the Old Testament that that won't be the case, but as for now, at the end of Joshua's life, things are moving forward, and he'll give the people uh, some warnings as they continue the conquest and uh, and for those future generations who will come along. It, it, it has been refreshing reading the book of Joshua and seeing that upward trajectory. Things do seem to be very hopeful for the people of Israel. They've been mostly faithful in the book of Joshua. You had that incident at Ai where there were the devoted things that were taken wrongfully by Achan, and, and they had to deal with that. But for the most part, the people of Israel have responded faithfully to the Lord's word. And so, I mean, it's just been refreshing to see, because sometimes you forget that the people of Israel do have those moments of faithfulness, and it's encouraging when we see them. And, and yeah, Joshua here at the end of his life. He's preparing his people for these people, Israel, for the time after his death, encouraging them to continued faithfulness, also being realistic about their their shot at it as well. He he knows these people just like Moses before him knew these people. And so he he wants them to continue that faithfulness, but he keeps them grounded in reality too and and reminds them what will happen if they are unfaithful. We'll see that in our text today as well. Right. That's that's the the, the biggest thing is the warning that God gives already uh, to Moses, knowing that if the people are remaining in the land, God's people will fall. And I think it's also helpful to remember that uh, this is not a God who is uh, who, who just is thirsty for blood and, and has all of these innocent bystanders slaughtered. Uh, these were all the the sons of the of the curse, right? Sons of Ham, sons of uh, of Canaan, and uh, and the wages of sin is death. Uh, and as a result of their idolatry, uh, God is is wiping them out. And uh, and Joshua will charge them here in this text in twenty three to continue on uh, that conquest. 
Hmm. Before we look at the text itself, just thinking about the shape of the book of Joshua and how we're coming to the close, we know Joshua is going to die at the end of the book. And thinking about the previous book, Deuteronomy, being Moses's farewell sermon, and of course, he dies at the end of the book. Before we look at the text, maybe just give us a, a general overview of how we see some parallels here between Joshua and Moses. Yeah, that's a great observation. From, from the very beginning of this book, you, you see parallels v- come very quickly between Joshua and Moses. And it's, you know, God, God promises Joshua, right? As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And really for a demonstration of sorts to the people, the people are able to see along with Joshua that as God was with Moses in the same way, he is with, with Joshua, even to the point where, you know, remove the sandals from your, from your feet for the place on which you stand is holy ground. And of course, the, the parting of the, uh, of the Jordan River. So there are parallels all the way through their, their lives. And here at the end, as you said, Moses with Deuteronomy, you know, charging this new generation with the law so that they, uh, of course, don't have the excuse, well, we weren't alive during Leviticus. No, uh, Moses makes sure that they know full well the law, and Joshua is going to con- going to do the same thing, reminding them of that law, and do not swerve to the right or to the left, uh, lest you will fall. Hmm. Well, let's go ahead and read this text. We're in Joshua 23 this morning, beginning at the first verse. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake, for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off, from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land, just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong and to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you, or make mention of their names of their gods, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. And now I am about to go the way of all the earth and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, 
so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you, if you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given to you. That's our text for today. That's Joshua 23, verses 1 to 16. So, Pastor Busman, the setting comes in verses 1 and the first part of 2. It's a long time afterward, and the land has rest. The Lord has given that. Joshua's old. He summons all Israel. Any comments on the setting of this text before we jump into what Joshua has to say? I, I think so. It, there, You know, the, the book is just filled with, with war uh, with military conquest, and then this the shift really happens in twenty three that that we really turn from the war, from uh, the 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 bloodshed to this long time afterward, and there is there is rest, and then of course we know that through Jesus uh, or, or the words of Jesus that this rest only comes from Him. Come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It it, it can only come from God through the battles and victories that he has has won. So we really quiet down a little bit in this text as Joshua nears the end of his life. You can almost hear as the people are gathering this, you know, almost a silence that is that is over them. There's no no shouts of war, anything like this. It's uh, for for the time being at least it's uh it's it's completed so that Joshua can can once again proclaim the law to them. Mm. Right. So there there is rest from the fighting at this point. Although Joshua does remind them there are other nations that need to be cut off that they will need to be driven out yet. He does remind them and of course we we read about the the success or lack thereof of that in the book of Judges. But there there is this rest from war at the moment. And and when exactly this happens, you know, a long time afterward, it's, it's hard to know exactly when, but some at least the Lutheran study Bible suggests perhaps the year 1375 BC. So about you know 25 years after most of the events of the book of Joshua take place, here we are at the end of Joshua's life. And the, the rest is, is from war. And you mentioned how the rest is finally fulfilled in Christ. You know, Jesus speaks about that in Matthew 11, as you referenced. The writer of Hebrews brings this up, that the rest that Joshua gave was not the complete rest. We're, we're going to receive that in Christ. It does, it does strike me that even with the military rest that they have, there is still this the spiritual battle that Joshua describes about not falling into idolatry. And so even as there is rest from the physical warfare in, in what he talks about, he describes the ongoing battle against the, what, how does Paul put in Ephesians, the principalities and the rulers of, of this world that are battles, not with flesh and blood. And Joshua says, Hey, that battle may be over, but keep in mind the battle that still exists between true worship of God and idolatry. Right. I mean, the most dangerous enemy is a is a is a defeated enemy, right? Because they know they've lost and they're they've got nothing else really to lose, and and that's what these nations are going to uh, are, are going to bring in in the book of in the book of Judges. Of course, you know, not not randomly. It's it's by the hand of God, as as we'll see uh, as the book continues, and and the warning from Joshua here in this very chapter will. We'll make mention of that that uh, that that the people are not going to be driven out, 
not because God is somehow lazy or tired of, of, of work or because there's another God out there that, that's stronger, uh, but on the basis of the people's own idolatry. Those, those, those gods of the foreign nations are, are pleasing uh, to them. And of course, the language gets a little bit graphic in the book of Judges as to how the people uh, pursued and, and go after these other gods. Uh, but, but the warning is there for, for them, and, and the warning is really here for us uh, as well. And perhaps getting a, getting a little bit ahead of myself, but, uh, but the Old Testament is important, and we need to, we need to uh, certainly be reminded of the law of God in all circumstances. That's right. Yeah, we well, let's, let's try not to get too far ahead of ourselves in the text because there's plenty to talk about with this matter of idolatry as the as the text goes on. So Joshua's there. There is rest from physical warfare. He is now old and well advanced. So he gathers Israel together to him and he begins to speak to them. And the rest of the chapter from the middle of verse two onward is Joshua speaking. He acknowledges his own age. Uh, how does he begin then in verse three to address the people? By, by recalling the deeds of God that, you know, this is still that generation where it's not like they have to have some kind of secondary or tertiary source here. No, these people have seen, y'all have seen the work of God, all that he has done for you, everything that he said he would do as far as driving out these nations from before you, he has done. Why? For your sake. This is the inheritance that uh, that God has promised, and he's giving it to you, uh, this good land flowing with milk and honey, this land where where God will indeed dwell uh, dwell with his people. He will be their God. They will be his people. Uh, but it is uh, God's work, right? The people didn't do anything. The text will continue to get into this, that, you know, consider, consider the walls of Jericho to, to, to say something like that was a victory that God's people won would be would be ridiculous. What did they do? March around the city? No, God has delivered his people. God has given them uh, this land that he promised all the way back to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Mm, yeah, that, that line at the end of verse 3, it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. We've seen that throughout the book of Joshua, especially those first several chapters that detailed the military conquests. And as you said, when you look at the military conquests, each time the, the battle plan that the Lord gives, it makes it obvious just what the Lord says here, that the Lord is the one doing the fighting. The people are by faith, doing what the Lord says, but the Lord's the one who's giving the victory. The walls of Jericho is a perfect example. And this is this is such a key thing for the Old Testament and for us still today, that the Lord is the one doing this. Talk a little bit more about that, that the Lord is the one who's fighting for you. Oh, that Listen, this goes all the way back to, obviously, uh, you know, you could push it even back into Egypt, but one of my favorite, one of my favorite verses from Exodus comes at the crossing of the Red Sea, and it's written in Exodus 14, verse 14. And Moses says, uh, the Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. They're telling the people, just just sit and receive. And, and I don't know that there's a verse uh, you know, around that, that speaks to what worship is better than this, right? The Lord is fighting for you. You just just sit and receive, sit and be silent and, and behold the work 
uh, behold the work of the Lord. And yeah, that we, we need not forget that it is God who is doing this, that, you know, God is not somehow dependent upon, uh, upon our work to bring about salvation is going to come uh, no matter what and in his way, according to his will. Mm, yeah, you, you mentioned the connection to worship, but I, th- I think the the canticle that sometimes we'll sing is the hymn of praise in certain settings of the divine service. This is the feast of victory of our God, that that he is the one who has won the victory. And here we are enjoying the victory and receiving the victory that he has won. You know, we don't we don't go to the divine service to win the victory ourselves. We go to the divine service to receive the fruits of the victory that he has already won for us. We just get to be silent, or as, as Psalm 46 puts it, to be still and let him be God, and he delivers the victory to us. And that is what happens in the divine service. We receive it. And and what a blessing that is to have the Lord fight for us, and we simply get to, to sit and watch with all confidence that he will do what he says. And that's what's happened in the book of Joshua. He's done what he says. Now, as as Joshua continues his address into verse four, he talks about the land being allotted. What what does Joshua talk about when he speaks about the inheritance given to the people of Israel? That's a good word to remember uh, that it is an inheritance. Inheritances are are given. They are not uh, they are not earned. Uh, Jesus brings this up in the Gospels. Uh, when when the man comes to him and says, "What must I do to inherit eternal life?" Well, that's it's kind of a backwards question. An inheritance is promised, and an inheritance is given without any, uh, to use Lutheran phraseology, without any merit or worthiness in us. But the reminder here: there are nations that remain. Yeah, there are nations certainly that God has already already cut off, but. As these tribes go into their individual inheritances in the land, there are still Canaanites there. There are still Philistines there. There are still these groups that need to be uh, that need to be wiped out. And of course, we we've already seen in the book of Joshua, uh, in in one instance at least, uh, a refusal to to drive out the people. It was in the in the land of of Judah where the Philistines were and they were not completely driven out already. And, you know, Dan, who was just North decides, well, he doesn't want to live next to the Philistines. So he goes to the far Northern part of the land. So you can already, you can already begin to sense this rebellion against, uh, against the word and against the gifts of God. Uh, But we'll completely see that, uh, that failure uh, as we've mentioned already in the book of Judges, but this reminder, again, that there are nations that remain, uh, that the people, you know, it's not over. The conquest is not over. Right. And and what's, you know, I mean, that I appreciate you bringing out the fact that as the narrative of the Old Testament continues, we see that they don't actually push them out as the Lord has commanded them to do. But it is, it is striking at the moment in this verse how Joshua says, I gave this land as an inheritance to you already, even though there are nations 
living there currently, which is a, a bit of a juxtaposition. You know, the the land is occupied, but Joshua says, "Here, this is yours now," and and he can do that with certainty at this moment, not because of Israel and its faithfulness, or as as we pointed out, their their lack of it eventually, but he can do that because of the certainty of God's promises. It, it's quite something to say, "Here's your inheritance." even when other people are living in it. That, I mean, that kind of confidence can only come if there's the Lord's word behind it, which is, I think, one of the main thrusts of, of Joshua's speech here is that the Lord has been faithful to his promises. And just the fact that he's He's given this land as an inheritance, even while other people are still living there, points to the the confidence that we can have when God promises something, it's, it's done. It's as good as done. Even if we haven't seen it yet, we know it's going to be fulfilled because God said it. Right, and, and not... And the Canaanites aren't some pushover nation at this point. They're right. they're their strength. They have uh, chariots and and horsemen and all sorts of different things. The scriptures uh, the scriptures tell us. You know you, the way the way you speak about it, I, I'm very appreciative of because it's it really brings in this kind of now and not yet reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, even even all the way back into Genesis, was was Abraham not living in Beersheba, which is in the land and Isaac and Jacob. I mean, they were living in the land, even though it wasn't technically, uh, technically theirs yet. So they, they do get to enjoy these things now, even though the not yet has not come. I, there, there are so many connections we can make today. You know, we've already spoken of the divine service, but we have uh, eternal life even now, even though today might be, uh, your last breath, eternal. That, that doesn't take eternal life from you. It's it's yours through Christ, even now. Mm, yeah. Well, and I, I I can't remember when we talked about this on the show, but I'm I know, I'm pretty sure it's come up during Joshua at some point. That I mean, this is the the hope of the Christian at a funeral. I mean, even when there's a casket there and a Christian has died, still we sing songs of resurrection and we we grieve with hope because we know the Lord's promise that He will return, He will raise the dead, and so even when you know what we're looking at is a, a casket in front of the sanctuary and a, a grave that's been dug, even there we have hope because we know. We know what's going to happen because the Lord has spoken it, and, and we have that inheritance. I mean, there's the the now and not yet. I think a, a Christian funeral is one of the most vivid places we see that that hope experienced. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, what a in in the face of in the face of the the greatest enemy of all, we're able to uh, to proclaim in its face, "Oh, death, where is your victory? Where yeah. where is your sting?" And, uh, yeah. and that's that's a very very powerful thing. That's right. That's right. So so the Lord has made His promise, and it's as good as done. Land has been allotted as an inheritance already. It's all gift, even though there are nations that still need to be pushed out. He gives the boundaries, the Jordan to the Great Sea in the west. Uh, take us then into verse five. What the what the Lord God will do in pushing these enemies back? Yeah. Notice notice the continued assurance. It's not. I've brought you into the land, and now you have your inheritance, and now you have to go off and and draw up your own individual battle plans and and finish this thing. No, God's still going to work for you. He's not going to disappear as if you know some kind of uh, you know we're all of a sudden deist or something that God is 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 very distant from us and dependent upon us. No, God is still very involved in his creation, still very involved 
with his people and fighting battles for his people. So it's still God's work. In that sense, nothing has changed from, from the beginning of Joshua until now. Yeah, so he's going to continue to do the work that he has has started, just as he has brought them into the land. So he's going to keep them in the land. He's going to drive these nations out, just as he has promised. And then in in verse six, the language sounds very familiar from other places in the book of Joshua. Therefore, be very strong. I wish it. I wish he had said be strong and courageous. But same same language that we heard the Lord promise Joshua at the beginning. Now Joshua turns and strengthens the people here in verse six with very similar language. He absolutely does, and this is a callback to Exodus nineteen, as the people are gathered at Mount Sinai with this this covenant of the law. It, it's a conditional covenant. It's different different than the everlasting covenant, uh, you know, of, of God. Right? If you will hear my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. And of course, even even while they're receiving the law. They're crafting a golden calf, but but hear the reminder. Keep and do all that is written in the book of the law, turning aside neither to the right nor to the left. No deviation from the law. What the law says, the law means. When God says, you shall have no other gods, it's not, well, um, maybe just this one time. Or, well... We're going to keep the Canaanites around, and if they're going to be good little, good little slaves for us, they want to keep their temple, and you know we'll show some, uh, show some commonality with them by you know showing up every now and then. No, there's no turning aside to the right or to the left. God is God. There are no other gods, and uh, and and this is where they're this is where they're going to fail. Hmm. Yeah, that's right. Again, we we know what's coming in the in the books of the Old Testament that they will not do this perfectly. I do I do really appreciate how Joshua keeps the word of God central here. And and we shouldn't be surprised by that at all. That was what Moses had done before him. And that's what Joshua is doing right now, that this is all about the promise of God. It's not about the military knowledge that they would have gained from Joshua over the past few years. It's not about any human strength, but the, the success of Israel, if I can use that word, depends on their faithfulness to the word of God. That is where their success will be found is in the word of God and not just any word of God, but what Moses already told them. He calls them back to what they already know. Here's the word that you've got. Stay faithful to it. And in that, that will be your life. And I mean, that that was true for the people during the days of Moses. It's true for the people in the days of Joshua. And it's still true for us that the word of God is our life. We're going to keep looking at the Word of God here in Joshua 23. On the other side of the break, you're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking with Pastor John Bussman this morning. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. 
What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable, a college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran, a college that won't take a dime of federal funding, a college that teaches the best of our Western heritage, a college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College, a college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org, subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, November 9th. We're studying Joshua 23, verses 1 to 16 with Pastor John Busman. He serves at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Cullman, Alabama. Pastor Busman, prior to the break, we left off at about verse 7, which is in the middle of a sentence from, from Joshua. He has commanded the people to be strong and to stay faithful to what Moses has given them, the word of God. They are not to turn aside either to the right or the left. And he specifically mentions that they should not mix with the nations who are there. What does Joshua have to say about mixing with the nations that are there? Again, I, I feel like I've said this over and over, but the, these are all warnings that have already come before and will certainly uh, certainly come after. This is, this is the very first uh, thing that God says about why these nations are to be eliminated in the first place. Again, it's not because God is some bloodthirsty uh, tyrant, but God is God knows that if the people are left, that the people are going to turn and and worship uh, their gods as well. And this mixing that we see so often uh, in in the text from here on out, Judges, First and Second Samuel, right? Give us a give us a king so that we can be like all the nations. This this desire for God's people to to be like everyone else. Uh, saying even don't even make mention of their gods yet you only have to flip a few pages in the bible to to see that even gideon was called jerubbabel and they're they're naming their children after <laughs> after these false gods no time at all had passed and they're and they're already doing this again these things that the people might think are seemingly innocent well it's not that big of a deal but it doesn't take long before it before it uh takes these people by force and they become full-on full-on idolaters and i know i'm using the word they a lot but how often does this happen uh, even even to us by the time the people are exiled at the end of the old testament and they return under the persian king cyrus you you would think that there would be a little reform among the people, but during the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, they look at the at the women of the land and they think, oh, they're, they're pretty good looking. Maybe we could marry those people. And time after time, no matter how many times the word is given over and over and over, there is still failure on the part of the people. So in that sense, you know, again, it's not not kind of a cop out or an excuse, but but we're in really good company with these people because how many times is the word given to us? Yet we try to find these loopholes. Like, oh, well, that's not. It's not talking about that. And we go and we do what is right in in our own eyes and fall very much in the same way that we see God's people fall. Yeah, one of the things that I think is really important about verse seven is the way that 
Joshua describes what the mixing actually is, the the mixing that he is concerned about and that the Lord is concerned about has everything to do with theology and, and nothing else. I mean, it, you know, it's it's why aren't you to make mention of the or why are you not to let the people remain among you? It's because you don't want to make mention of the names of their gods. It's it's not about the nations themselves, but it's about their idolatry, and it's it's completely a, a matter of theology, whether it's it's right or wrong, whether it's according to God's word or to something else. And the the mixture that God is, is concerned about here is the mixing of his true religion by grace uh, with the mixture of false religion that is salvation by works. And it's that's always the concern here. It's, it's never anything other than a concern for mixture of false religion and true. It's always a matter of theology. Yeah, that's a good point. Paul uh, really brings up the same thing as he's writing uh, to the Corinthians, where he's talking about having dealings with dealings with people in the church who are in unrepentant sin. And he says, no, I'm not talking about the people of the world because then you would have to go out of the world. We know what the world's up to, but he, he, he brings it back to theology, right? What, if these people are claiming to believe in God, we need to have a right, we need to have a right confession here. And that's, that's the fault of the, of the Canaanites and, and the rest. They do not have a true confession of the one true God. Yeah, that's right. So in into verse eight, Joshua says, instead of mentioning the names of the false gods, be faithful to the Lord your God, just as you have been. Keep keep taking us forward into Joshua's right. Speech. Great, it, it, it's really nice language here. Clinging uh, to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. And so here's this positive swing again. That right, we've got rest and. The difference in rest, as we'll see in, in the book of in the book of Judges, if you continue reading on your own, uh, at the end, after a judge comes along, the land has rest, it has peace. But then all of a sudden, there's this upheaval again as a result of of their idolatry. But that's not the case right now. In in Joshua 23, the people at this point are clinging to God. They are listening to the word. They are. Uh, doing the law. So we have this this kind of fleeting moment of peace in the Old Testament where everything everything seems to be like I said everything seems to be moving forward and moving forward uh, nicely and that's again Joshua's point of this of this chapter is to make sure that even after the days of his death that 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 continues. Yeah. So he again reminds the people how the Lord has been faithful to them. And in verse nine, the Lord is the one he's driven out these nations and to the point that no one's been able to stand. And I I love the way verse 10 puts it. One Israelite puts to flight a thousand. But again, it's not because of that strength of that one Israelite, but because of the Lord, their God who fights for them. I love that too. Again, moving forward into Judges, Shamgar, Taking down six hundred Philistines with an ox goad, Samson. Right, you you see, kind of almost the ridiculous what 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 some people would say the ridiculous nature of these stories, just shows that it's not the people at all. It's it's God who's fighting. It's God who is is delivering. Right, the people. If it's an inheritance, a true inheritance, the people don't work for it. They can't work for it. It's a gift. So God is the one who is. Uh, who is doing this. I mean, even to the point, go back to the beginning of Joshua, where Rahab, what does she say to the people, to the spies? Oh, hey, we've heard about this God. We've heard about y'all. We know, we know what this God is capable of. Remember me when you come into town. 
And uh, so that, that word gets around, gets around very quickly. Hmm. Yeah. When, when I look at verse 10, the one man uh, who puts to flight a thousand, you, you mentioned in the book of Judges, and uh, my mind also goes to, to David, particularly with, with Goliath, how you know the, the one man is standing there and, and he fights Goliath and all the Philistine army is routed. But again, David's confession at that moment, it's because the battle belongs to the Lord. And, and David is faithful in the same way that Joshua and the people here are faithful. It's not a great victory for David. It's a great victory for the Lord. And just that one man, faithful in the Lord, that's what happens because the Lord is the one who's doing the fighting, just as he promised. And so Joshua, again, returns to his charge. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. This is I love the way Joshua you know, uses a variety of ways of speaking about their response. He's talked about, you know, be very strong, don't turn aside. And here it's love the Lord your God. This is the, the first commandment. First commandment. Everything hinges on the first commandment. Uh, the listeners can can remember or perhaps they're going through uh, catechism classes now that when you learn the Ten Commandments, every commandment, uh, you should fear and love God so that everything always goes back to the first commandment. So if, we, if we're breaking any of the other ones, it's first because we have uh, we have put something else in the place of God, either my will or somebody else's will. Everything goes back to to that first commandment: love the Lord your God. Hmm. Yeah. So, so love the Lord your God. That's Joshua's command to them in verse eleven, and then he starts to warn them if they turn back. What what happens if their love is misplaced? As Joshua continues into verse twelve, and that's what we see, right? Love God, and the the. the the reverse of that isn't necessarily loving other gods; it's lusting, right? So you get this—you get this very different language when you when you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations. You you already brought up uh, Achan before, right? You're supposed to leave all that stuff. That's the you know Jericho is the first fruits of the of the conquest. It all belongs to God, but. Man, that stuff looks looks nice. It looks shiny and much like Lot's wife. You know, I just want to just want to turn around and look. Let's let's see what's there. Let's see what all the fuss is about, right? I mean, these nations are strong too. Let's see what their gods are about, what they allow, and things like this. Uh, but uh, but there is the warning. Yeah. To that's right. Not turning back. Don't make marriages with them. Don't associate with them. Uh, and they and they for you, and then you get the the reason why, because hey, this God has been fighting for you. You do not want him to withdraw his presence from you. Remember how strong the Canaanites are. Remember how strong these nations are. You are uh, the least of all of them. What was the report of the spies? The bad report, of course. But we were like grasshoppers to them. You. You have to have God in your corner, or this is going to turn out very, very badly. Mm. In in verse twelve, you know Joshua makes mention specifically of one of the very dangerous ways of mixing with these nations is to make marriages with them, and and I think this you know the idea of the marriage fits particularly well here, where Joshua has just said, make sure you love the Lord your God above all else, because the the matter of the the marriage to these idolaters that that's a particular danger. And I know you've mentioned this already, but can you talk a little bit more about why the the intermarriage between 
between those of the true religion and those of the false religion. Why is that such a danger that the Lord warns against? Even this even took down Solomon, right? The wisest of the wise. Of course, Solomon himself will write that wisdom uh, will come from the word of God, from the nearness of, uh, of, of the individual to that word of God. But what happens when Solomon begins making these marriage alliances with all of these other nations around him? Well, he builds high places and altars for these uh, for for his many wives, his seven hundred wives, and as a result of that, he too starts worshiping them, and as a result of that, distances himself from from the word, and and in a, in a sense begins to lose that wisdom because he doesn't have the word. I've brought up uh, the people in in Ezra and Nehemiah. Nehemiah gets to the point where he even. not very pastoral, but starts beating people and pulling out their hair and cursing at them because, you know, they had just gone through 70 years of exile. Why would they start doing the same things that led them there in the first place? But again, the things of the world, the, the beauty that the world puts forward is not the beauty, uh, is not the beauty of God. I mean, consider the things that God considers beautiful. And it's it's oftentimes very opposite of what the world wants to wants to tell us that uh, that beauty is. But once that marriage is made, there's a, there's an alliance with another group of people, and right. and, it, and it lead and it leads to their downfall. Right, right, and and with the you know the marriage in particular, that that very strong connection. Again, what the Lord calls marriage is that the two become one. When that has happened in marriage, and there's two different religions going on, that's a that's quite the conflict. And and we know from like Deuteronomy 13 that when there is idolatry among one party in a marriage, that there are strong consequences for that. And I recall Jesus' words, I think, in in Luke 14, where he talks about the one who would be his disciple, you know, must be willing to forsake and and even hate all of these close family relationships, even even the the spouse. I mean, that's that's really difficult when you think about all the emotional attachment, and, and rightly so, there should be emotional attachment between a husband and a wife. When you think about that, and yet the idolatry, you can see the great danger of a marriage in which one spouse trusts in the true God and one spouse doesn't. You can see how, how that emotional attachment begins to take first place and soon the Lord is is left behind and the the love for the Lord that was commanded in verse 11 is is gone. That's the, the danger that Joshua's warning against. You're not speaking very popularly in the 21st century, <laughs> but, but uh, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and when we see this, it... It, it, you really begin to uh, this this love for the Lord changes very quickly into apathy for the Lord, and apathy for the Lord uh, just turns into not really not really caring at all and taking no stand, making no proclamation, and and that's a that's a really really big problem. 
Yeah. Well, so Joshua, he warns about the dangers that happens. If you if you go down this route of, of intermarrying with the idolaters in verse 13, he, he said, you know, and you've mentioned this already, the Lord's not going to drive them out anymore. And then what's going to happen if the Lord doesn't drive them out in the rest of verse 13? Yeah, there'll be a snare and a trap, a whip on your sides. So the very thing that they're going to do, right, they're going to get into judges and say, oh, you know what? These cities are kind of kind of destroyed. We need some, we need some slaves. They're going to enslave the people, but but they'll quickly turn the whip back on them. But but the line that I really like in this verse is the thorns in your eyes. Mm. It, I, I can't help but seeing a thorn and remembering Genesis 3, how because Adam and Eve did not heed the word of God, well, thorns came up from the earth. The same language will be used again. They're, they're Deep, deep connections. And I know we're not talking about judges, but this is such a hinge chapter here that it's the same thing. The people become thorns in the side. Thorns are a result of the curse of creation, of not listening uh, to the law of the Lord. So uh, thorns here in your eyes. Uh, Samson in the book of Judges will learn this all too well as his eyes are, are literally plucked. Uh, from his from his head there as he's imprisoned by the Philistines. So and and ultimately, look, the wages of sin is death until you perish from off of this good ground. Again, you know, even even though creation is fallen, God never says it is a bad creation. When God looked at His creation, He said, "Behold, it is very good." Now it is corrupt, for sure. But it is not bad, and we must remember this, that it's not because the creation turned bad that the people begin to fall away and fall into idolatry. No, it's what what the people have brought in all the way back to Adam that, uh, that brings death from the good ground that the Lord your God has given. Nothing, Nothing changed about the ground. Nothing changed about the promise of God. It's because the people fell into idolatry that uh, that death ultimately comes. As Joshua continues his words into verse 14, he tells the people he knows he is going to die soon. And then he tells them what they know that in their hearts and souls, and, and this is, uh, we get to really the, the theme of the book of Joshua. Professor Harstad uh, suggests that, that these words we get in Joshua 23, 14, which we've heard previously in Joshua as well, that not a word of God has failed. This is the theme of the book of Joshua. This is just a beautiful promise. Tell us about verse 14. This is, yeah, right. This is, cling to this verse of all verses. No no word of God will fail. And, and we can get caught up in, in looking out at the world all we want to and, and thinking that the enemy is triumphing. Uh, but ultimately, where do we look? Ultimately, we have to look at the cross of Jesus and see that in the moment where it looks like the word of God is, is failing the most, uh, the, the word and promises of God are actually actually uh, going forth for the forgiveness of sins. Same thing here, right? It looks in chapter 23 like the word of God is going forth, that everything has been accomplished. But how quickly things turn uh, in, in a couple of chapters where all of a sudden it, it's, it's not going to look like God is on the side of his people anymore. But of course he said it, right? If, if you do not 
uh, cling to these words, I will not drive these people out. But, but even still through all of that, and we start to get into the prophets where they're constantly reminding the people of the promises uh, of God to, to forgive his people, to bring about their inheritance, not, not of the land that exists, you know, across the ocean, but of the good land, a new, uh, restored Eden. So they're, none of these words will will go unfulfilled from God. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and, and verse 14 all by itself, that none of these words, these promises, these good things, none of them will go unfulfilled just all by itself. That's that's fantastic. That's great. That's exactly the promise we want to cling to, and rightly so, that God's good promises will come to pass. And when when we don't see them happening, we can cling to this, that God's promises will be fulfilled. Joshua, in the context of chapter 23, uh, turns that and and uses it also as a warning. So just as God keeps all of his good promises, also remember that he will keep the threats, the warnings that he makes. So he will bring upon you these evil things. Talk about how Joshua makes that move into verses 15 and 16. Right that that word of promise can also become can also become a word of of, of curse. Uh, now we're thankful to God that uh, you know even in his in his word of judgment that you know he will never he will never go back on his word of grace but he can turn from his word of of curse right in the day you eat it you shall surely die but what do we see we actually see god uh, god clothing his people in that instance so the the word goes both ways the wages of sin is death and 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 that is as certain as let there be light so to carry that warning forward, right? It's not all, oh, now you have the land, go do whatever you want to do. There is there is a time for warning. Same thing with our with our own teaching and preaching in the church, right? There is there is certainly gospel, uh, but there is law as as well, and the law is necessary uh, in order in order that we uh, certainly see the the bright beams of the gospel shining forth. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and, and maybe it is—it's surprising here that Joshua ends his—I've been calling it a speech, but I suppose you could think about it as a sermon. Uh, Joshua ends his sermon on a on a word of of warning, a word of law, which is uh, perhaps not the way you were taught to do that in seminary, Pastor Busman. I don't—I don't know. No, that would get you—that would get you a B minus, right? You're always supposed to end on the gospel. <laughs> but but Joshua he he ends with the the warning and and yet I mean in the context of what Joshua's up to this is this is totally appropriate this is what they need to remember the Lord has been faithful continue in that faith but also know if you aren't faithful he he will do what he said and and that's a warning that that we do well to take to heart even even still today you talked about that's not popular in the 21st century but we still need to hear these words we do and and again joshua said look you've seen all that god has done you've seen the wages of sin you don't want to be on that side of it go back to the wilderness when the line is drawn who is who is on the lord's side moses asks and uh yeah, you, you you see what it means to be on the other side of God, to go against his word, to go against his promises, to be uh, a son of the curse and to persist in that curse as, you know, go all the way back to the flood. That That's the reference there. Cursed be Canaan when uh, when Ham mocks his, his father's nakedness. So you've seen what God 
will do to his enemies. Therefore, love the Lord your God, as as Joshua says. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, thinking as you brought up, love the Lord your God. Just thinking through this this whole chapter, it, you you talked about the first commandment earlier, and I think you could you could understand this as as an, a meditation upon the first commandment. Why should we fear, love, and trust in God above all things? And it, it this that's kind of where he ends is the fear aspect, but it all comes back to the first commandment. He's he is giving the people the reason that they should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And maybe he doesn't put them in the order that we want, but he's getting it all. And, and that first commandment, I mean, that to have the Lord as your God, that actually is, is a good thing. It is, is the best thing possible is to have the Lord your God. And, and that's what Joshua wants for the people going forward. Absolutely. It's interesting to keep bringing up the first commandment and, and to notice that Joshua doesn't. He doesn't give them a laundry list of laws here. He doesn't even give them all 10. He just, he just gives them the one where Moses gives them all of, all of Deuteronomy. It's like, okay, uh, we're not doing so good with with just the one, so let's stick with this one for now. That's right. That's right. So, Pastor Busman, we have about two minutes here on the morning. As you think about chapter 23 and all that Joshua has said, help us to wrap things up. And, and how does this chapter point us to our Savior, Jesus Christ? Yeah, great. Uh, thanks again for the time. As Joshua nears the end of his life, he's not, he's not in some retirement mode and just kind of letting the people uh, take off and do whatever they want and, and giving up on them. No, he, he, he comes back and he gives them both the word, uh, the law and the gospel, reminding them who God is, what he has done for them, and that they would know for certain that, that, that God is going to continue to fight for them. So for us today, to hear that same word, to know that uh, despite what we see in the world, that our God is still active, that he is still uh, fighting for us, that he's still going on before us. Uh, but we too uh, be very mindful of, of the mixtures that, that we make in this, in this life and uh, be very sure to continue to hear that word, uh, but to always cling to the promises of God, our Savior, that your sins are forgiven in Jesus Christ. Pastor John Busman is pastor at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Coleman, Alabama, helping us today with Joshua chapter 23, verses 1 to 16. Pastor Busman, thanks for being our guest today. I really appreciate it. Y'all have a great day. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple. If you have any questions about the book of Joshua, chapter 23 in particular, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It is always a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.